This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. So good to be with you. This morning, last week, we kicked off really fight back, and I think it was eye-opening for many of us to wake up to the reality that we currently, whether we know it or not, are in an unseen battle, that there's an enemy that really wants to steal, kill, and destroy every good gift that God wants to give you. As we get started today, I want to kind of shine a spotlight on something that we just saw in the announcements, and it comes up next Sunday night. We call it the BBBs, barbecue because we are from the Carolinas, and barbecue is a spiritual gift, all right? We just love us some barbecue, okay? Whether it's smothered in mustard or sauce or vinegar, we don't care. We just like barbecue. We're going to have some good barbecue next Sunday night. Bluegrass, the opinion's out on bluegrass. Some of us love bluegrass. Some of us are not so fond of bluegrass. It's okay. It's still going to be good because bluegrass pairs real well with barbecue, y'all. I'm just saying. They go together, all right? And then baptisms. And I want to speak about baptisms because some of us come out of faith traditions where in, we, we use the term baptism in many different ways. So much so that sometimes it's confusing for where we are. And I, I, I can speak to that personally. My, my mom's family is, uh, is Catholic. And so I, I was what, what my mom would call christened as a, as a baby. And there are many Catholics that would call that a baptism. We believe that as, a ch- as, as small children, we can bring our kids to church and we dedicate them to God. It's an act of, of really of faith as a parent. But baptism is an act of faith as an individual. And it really emerges in the New Testament as a response to our repentance. So Jesus was baptized by John, and John the Baptist has this massive ministry of baptism, buried to death, raised to new life in God. And it's actually something that for the New Testament church, was connected to your repentance. The very first message preached by a Christian after the ascension of Jesus happens in Acts chapter 2. It's the Apostle Peter. He's on the steps of the temple. There are literally fountains all around where he was. And at the end of his message, notice what he says in Acts 2.38. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you. This was not something that was seen in the, in the New Testament church. It's just, y'all do that, and y'all do that, and y'all, just, if you choose. It was seen as something that everybody who had repented and surrendered their life to Jesus would do in response, outward expression of an inward reality, okay? And as Peter delivered that, the Bible records that 3,000 people that day said yes to Jesus. And out of that, 3,000, okay, they would have just literally been ushered into those fountains immediately, baptized, 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 preaching a sermon 
that is stronger than any word we could throw at it. Peter actually is referencing in his own epistle in the third chapter of baptism, and he actually uses a story that we're all familiar with, the flood in Noah. And this is what he said. The water is a picture of baptism. The water that came in and destroyed everything, God saving that which was above the water. That water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as, look at this, a response to God from a clean conscience. In other words, like God has done something in me. Now I feel I'm right with God. My conscience is clear. And so the response to that is to be baptized. It's effective, what? Because of how good we are. It's effective because of our obedience moving. It's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's what baptism is a picture of. Buried with him in death, raised again to new life. That is something that we need to choose to do out of obedience when we have surrendered our lives to God. Some of us might have came out of where your parents were like, hey, you, you were baptized as a child. And the response to that would be, "That's all, thank you for dedicating me, making faith a priority. That matters so much to me. I appreciate it. But baptism is a response to my repentance. And that's what it should be for you. Like Peter said, everyone do it. And so if you've made a decision and you've never been baptized, we want to celebrate that with you. You can register today at guest services. The reason we ask for people to register is because we want to share your story. We, we don't just dunk people and pull them up and sell. We want to, if you've been around when we do it, we'll, we'll read your story aloud and so that people see what really has happened in your life. We want to celebrate that with you. That'll be next Sunday night at our BBBs. Love to do that. Baptism is, like I said, an outward display of an inward reality. And if that's the reality that you're living, God has changed your life. Let's put it on display and preach those sermons next Sunday night. Now, last week we started this series with me sharing with you that the enemy against your soul has a, a battle plan already against you. And to get there in a manner of review, I, I shared with you just orthodox Christian theology that we believe God has revealed himself to us in three eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. God is three persons. We are three parts. We are body and soul and spirit. God, three parts. We are three parts. And so it only seems natural that our enemy would have a three-part plan of attack. So we went through this last week. By way of review, our enemy attacks us from within using our flesh. Our flesh. This, this body. And the corrupted desires of this body. Our enemy attacks us from within. Number two, our enemy attacks us from without using worldly powers and systems. This is not heaven. And so next week we're going to talk about how do we fight back in a world that's not heaven yet? How do we do that? How, what's the Bible say about doing that? And then number three, we're attacked supernaturally by the enemy and his forces. The enemy, Satan, the devil. Genesis 3, the serpent. Many different names. You have an enemy. And he has forces assigned to him, 
fallen angels that we call demons. A spiritual army that literally is at war attacking you. You are under attack. This is referenced, this is referenced very clearly in the teaching of Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Just press pause right there. The only way you're ever going to really experience life is through Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that you probably have in your heart and in your mind that formulate, I will be fully alive when? When that guy finally acknowledges that I'm alive or when I finally get that degree or when I finally move into that house or when I finally get this much money in the bank. No, you'll be fully alive when you've surrendered your life to Jesus. Life can only be found in him. But you have an enemy that wants to steal and kill and destroy that life. We see this throughout the Bible. Just go back to the beginning. Eve is deceived. Doesn't always look the same. You remember the story? Don't eat from that tree. You'll surely die if you do that. No, uh, did, did he really say not to eat from that tree? Oh, no, God knows if you eat from that tree, you will be like God. Deceived. And then last week I, I showed you that Adam, when, when God shows up to walk with him, what does Adam say? I'm, I'm scared. We hid because we were naked. And then what did God say to Adam? Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? It's as if God is saying, who redefined your reality? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were never going to win at life? Who told you that your marriage was always going to be a struggle? Who told you that you'd never find somebody that loved you? Who told you that your career was always going to be difficult? Who told you that your kids are never going to follow God? Who told you that? Deceived, lied to. Job, God uses the enemy to test the faith of Job to prepare him for his next season of growth. And then Peter, at the crucifixion, Jesus says, Listen, Peter, the devil has desired to sift you like wheat. I'm praying that your flesh will be strong. Peter fails. See, he denies Jesus watching him on the cross. It's not always the same, but it is always there, the attack of the enemy. John 16, verse 33 is so encouraging. Jesus says, I have told you this, that you might have peace in your hearts because of me. Notice the peace that we're offered in the Bible has nothing to do with our circumstances. Doesn't have to do with how good it is, how many people like you. It has to do with who Jesus is. I've told you this, that you might have peace in me because of me. While you are in this world, you will have to suffer. That sounds like bad news. But cheer up, for I have defeated the world. We can cheer up. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be walking out of here feeling like I don't know what's going to happen to me. There's an enemy. No, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has already won the war. And last week I told you, so important, that we fight this battle from victory, not for victory. 
The victory in this is not anchored in how good I am, how I perform. My victory in this spiritual war is simply anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. He's already won the war. I was thinking, and really, that, that notion is all throughout the Bible. That I, I don't win just because of my performance. There's a, a part that I play but victory is anchored in who God is for me. Proverbs 21 verse 31 says it this way. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. This is really important because some of us go, well, it's all in God, so I don't have to do anything. And some of us go, well, it's all on me, so it all depends on me. It's neither one of those things. I got to prepare you got to prepare the horse for the day of the battle. I've got to do the preparation. But in the end, victory, victory lies in the hands of God. So today, I want you to win a battle that you've been fighting since you were born. You don't know it, though. It's the battle for your flesh. You might not know what flesh is. And flesh is really, in many terms, it's your physical body. Okay? It's your physical body. And... Out of our body, there are desires that are found within our flesh. And what was created to be good, sin and the enemy have corrupted, okay? God created our bodies to be good, but now our bodies are broken. Sin destroyed. This is why we have sickness. This is why some of us have walked through very difficult seasons with our bodies really feeling like an enemy. And while it is broken, at the same time, it is being redeemed. There's a battle to be fought within this. You ever been there? You feel like, man, I feel like there's, a, there's kind of a conflict just going on within me. You'll see that over the next few minutes as we look at the Bible. Galatians chapter 5 has a lot to say about the flesh. We'll start with this verse, verse 17. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do, pay attention, not to do whatever you want. That's good advice, y'all. You are not supposed to in life do whatever you feel like doing. Why? Because there's actually a war within you that's being waged. There's a flesh that wants to do some things and then the Spirit of God that wants other things. There's a conflict. You ever felt that before? I know that I really want that, but I know it's not good for me. I want another bowl of ice cream. God, that would be real good. See, number one, our flesh desires things that are in conflict with the desires of God. What God created as good, the enemy has corrupted. It was good in its original state as God created it. But because sin encountered our bodies, our flesh now, those desires have been corrupted. I want to speak to two of those real quickly so that you can see what I mean. There are some of us that out of our flesh just have a desire to control everything around us. 
Like they would be better off if they just do what I tell them to do. And this isn't working because it's not going the way I like. And this and this and this. And I want to control that. And I feel really upset and anxious because I'm not in control over here. And I want to control it. And I want to control It's actually born out of the flesh. That's a fleshly thing. It's a fleshly struggle. It's actually where the enemy is attacking Eve in the garden. You will be in control of what is good and bad. You will be like God, determining for yourself. But if you go to Galatians chapter 5, the Bible lists out that when the Spirit is alive inside of me, there is a byproduct of the Spirit life on the inside that speaks to control. It's just not controlling everybody else. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. You were designed by God with the good desire to control yourself. But that corrupted wants to control everybody else. And it's just sin. It's the flesh. Some of us would understand this in other ways. The Bible is so clear that God created sex and sex is good. But sex is intended to exist in one specific place. One man, one woman, one lifetime together. That's where God wants sex to live and thrive. God wants you to love your spouse and out of that love to desire sexual intimacy. So as a guy, you look at your wife and go, man, I want some of that. I want some of that. But that desire corrupted becomes, I want some of that and 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 some of that. Love turns to lust. The corrupted desire, this is good, but now corrupted. Romans chapter seven goes from being very pragmatic in this tension to being very personal. As the Apostle Paul, most preeminent figure in the New Testament church, shares his personal struggle through this. Look at this, beginning in verse 17. I need something more. For if I know the law, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. You ever been there before? I mean, I know what to do. I keep doing what I'm not supposed to do. Notice what he says. I, I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. You ever been there? Like it's just, there's something in here that's, that's broken. Verse 21 through 23, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. 
The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. Pay attention. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. What's he talking about? The flesh. Parts of me, the flesh, covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. And this is a verse that every person in this room can identify with, me included. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. I've read all the blogs, read all the books. I've taken the pills. I've been to the doctor. I've been to the counselor. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Thank God he didn't stop there. The next verse says this. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Here's a simple observation from that very personal account of struggle. Number two, everyone has to learn to fight back against the flesh. Let me just say this. If you get around somebody that's been following the Lord for a long time and this is not really apparent, they're losing the battle to the flesh. Because what happens, the longer we serve the Lord, the more that we get humbled by it. That's, this is the Apostle Paul that we're reading the most literally preeminent figure in the New Testament. By volume, he's responsible for two-thirds of the New Testament. He was the figure in taking the gospel and spreading it to Europe, planting churches all around the Mediterranean rim, the principal force taking the gospel to Rome where he would preach it in a city that was executing Christians. And what does he say? I'm struggling. I don't, I'm, I'm trying to fight back. I know it's in Jesus. If he has to fight the flesh, so do you. And so do I. And there's something that you see in this moment through his story. You don't win this fight by trying harder. You only win by surrendering to Jesus. That is remarkably counterintuitive. I just need, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to figure it out. No, you will never win if your life is not surrendered to Jesus. The flesh is a constant, per, perpetual battle for you to fight. Galatians 5 towards the end, verses 19 through 21, actually dives in to what the flesh produces in our lives. It's a little graphic. So if your kids are in the room and they ask you what some of these words mean later on, you're welcome, okay? It's what the Bible says. I'm gonna read out of the Good News translation, okay? And I love this. As a matter of fact, it's gonna use the term the human nature or our human nature to describe the flesh. And look what it says. What human nature does is quite plain. In other words, you can see it. You don't have to look real hard. 
It shows itself in immoral, filthy, and indecent actions. Now, let's stop there. There are words that you can say, and they have multiple meanings. You can say it's kind of condescending or it's kind of appealing. The word disgusting has neither of those. It is overtly gross. And that is the word that he's using here. It's filthy. It's disgusting. When the flesh shows up, that's what it produces. And it shows itself, and look at this, the worship of idols and witchcraft, which if you understand that in New Testament terminology, it's I understand where I'm trying to get, but I'm going to get there using a power that is not God. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to use worldly power. I'm not going to be submitted to a God. No, I can get there in another way. When the flesh is manifest, look at what it says. People become enemies and they fight. The last several years, we've seen families turn against families. Friends turn against friends. It's the flesh. People become angry. I told you last week, the problem's never a person. And then they become jealous, angry, and ambitious which seems to be an odd progression. Jealous, angry, ambitious? That doesn't seem like that fits, but let me make that make sense for you. Jealous. I want what they have. I want what they have. I want their marriage. I, I, I want the way their kids behave. I want my house to look like their house. Angry. I'm mad. I am mad because I don't have what they have. God, you're not good. You didn't give me what they have. And ambitious, I'm going to go get what they have. I'm going to go after it. God, you didn't give me. I don't care. I'm going to get it. And then I'm going to read this last line without commentary because it doesn't need it. They separate into parties and groups. The flesh. That's what the flesh does. They are envious, get drunk, have orgies, and do other things like these. I warn you now, as I have before, I'm going to come back to this verse, so pay attention to this. I warn you now, as I have before, those who possess these things, who do these things, will not possess the kingdom of God. Those who do these kind of, the flesh is leading. The flesh is the preeminent force that you're following in life. You're surrendered to your fleshly desires. You will not possess the kingdom of God. See this, number three. The enemy will use your flesh to keep you from God's best. It is a self-sabotaging corrupted desire within you to keep you from the very things that God wants you to have. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Which references a question Jesus was asked in John chapter 3. 
Nicodemus the Pharisee comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he didn't want his friends to know. Jesus, I love what you're talking about. I want this life. I want what you're talking I want to inherit this. What do I need to do? And he goes, hey, Nick, it's real simple. You got to be born again. And you can imagine, if you read the text, his mind just blowing up. Because his response to Jesus is, Jesus, am I supposed to crawl up inside my mom again and be born again? That's what he said. It's a little comical. Jesus, no, 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 no. You need to be spiritually reborn. That's what this verse out of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is talking about, that we are new in Christ. In Christ, we are spiritually, our spirit, body, soul, spirit, our spirit is resurrected in Christ, given new birth. The chains of sin are broken. I am new and being made new, which is best explained by talking about smoking. Some of y'all may say, hey, can, I mean, smoke, what do you think? Smoking going to send somebody to hell? It probably is not going to send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've been there, okay? <laughs> Just be honest, okay? There are some people who come to the Lord and they give their life to Jesus and they have that addiction and God just snaps it. You don't even want it anymore. But there are many people who come to the Lord with an addiction and God doesn't take that away. Why? Because there's in my flesh a physical dependency on nicotine. And so as the spirit begins to lead, I want you to get healthy. That's an addiction. You shouldn't always have to do that. You do it to escape. Let's get healthy. Now I have to go through physically disciplining my flesh. God has made me new. He's invited me into something new. But there's a process of being made new. 2 Corinthians 5, just a few verses later, verse 21. God made him who had no sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus Christ. We are God's righteousness. What does that mean? It means I'm not right on my own. I have to, as a person, to be right with God, choose Jesus. So as a Christ follower, this is the brilliant thing for you to see today. I have a choice. I can respond to Jesus or I can respond to my flesh. The power of sin is broken. I no longer have to respond to my flesh. If you're not a Christ follower, you have no choice but to be a slave to your flesh. So you are. You are dominated by broken and corrupted desires. But as a believer, I now have the choice. So we're going to get real practical, real tick, real quick, talking about how do we fight back. I need a battle plan. I need to know how to fight. I need to know how to prepare. I'm fighting from victory, but I want to do the work to prepare for the victory. I'm going to give you three things, real simple things. Number one, if I'm going to fight the flesh, I've got to run from temptation. I've got to run from temptation. I've got to get away from the things that I know are going to trip me up and make me fall. Run from temptation. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Run from temptations that capture young people. Always do the right thing. Be faithful, loving, and easy to get along with. Why does it phrase those two things together? Because when we don't 
run from temptation. When we give into temptations, we'll become unfaithful, unloving, and be very difficult to get along with. The problem for many of us is when it comes to temptation, we're trying to manage our temptations. We're trying to see how close can I get to it? How can I? I really don't like that, but you know, I don't want to keep doing this. And don't see how close you can get to it. Get away from it. Don't stop trying to manage your temptation. Run from temptation. Some of us get our phones out, just laying around on the couch. We're just scrolling and scrolling. And oh man, I wish my family could take a picture like that. My kids, my kids never even smile. I just—they're all—they look like they love each other. And and did you see what her husband brought her at work? I wish my husband's never brought me flowers. Oh man, look at the trip that they're going. We just—and we know. I'm becoming jealous and envious. Those are two terms used in the works of the flesh. When I look at it, and we keep asking the question, how can I do social media and stop being jealous? Stop trying to manage it. Run from it. Run from it. Some of us have friends, and we know if I go around that friend, I know what's coming. We keep asking, God, how can I get around them and stay away? I don't want to do that anymore. The answer's simple. Stop hanging out with them. And parents, parents, you need to be real clear about the way that you're managing temptation with your kids. I've sat down in the last several weeks with dad, just tears draining out of his face. My kids won't even look at me anymore. I walk in the living room, it's just this. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. What's going on? I'm good. Another dad, just tears dripping off his cheek. His kids not doing right, not living right. What happened? Just gave them too much access to their phones. It's like YouTube raised my kids. Just crying. My wife didn't teach my daughter how to put on makeup. Just walked out of the bathroom one day with a YouTube tutorial, not even looking like herself anymore. The, the internet taught my kids what to think. Run from temptation. If your parent manage the level of temptation you're allowing for your kids. Run, stop trying to manage it. Run, flee. You're not taking that phone in your bedroom. You're not doing that. You're not doing that. Why? Because your heart cannot handle the temptation. And I'm, you'd be mad at me all day, but I'm not losing you to that. Run from temptation. Number two, renew your mind from broken, sinful patterns of thought. Renew your mind. A few months ago, we went through a series called Mindful, and we specifically looked at the battle that goes on in our mind. The truth is, is that for many of us, the struggles that we have are patterns of thought. They're not, it's not just a thought, it's a pattern of thought. And that pattern is often learned in our early years. Sociologists will tell you, if you get around somebody that's in poverty, they learned how to be in poverty from their family. 
It's a mindset. It's not a resource issue. You have things in your life that are broken patterns of thought. There's some of us, it's always drama. I don't know why it's always drama. It's always drama because that's who you are. It's always drama. It's always impulsive. It's a, I just, I can't, I can't even manage opportunity. I'm just always just jumping in, jumping in, jumping in. It's a mindset. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our minds need to be renewed, renewed. And this is so important because we will never be able to understand the will of God with a mind that thinks the way the world does. So a few weeks ago, what I told you throughout that series was number one, you need to make some confessions that you speak over your life. For some of you, God's dropped it in your heart. You look at your kids and they're just not living the way you think. And, and God's told you, listen, they're mine. I'm gonna take care of it. Write a confession. God, they're your kids. I believe that through you, they're gonna have a vibrant relationship with you. God, you're gonna rescue my marriage. Confession is not speaking our sin to God. It can be that. But this, in this term, what we're talking about is actually confessing our faith. Some of us grew up in faith traditions where we said the Apostles' Creed. What is that? It's a statement of faith. This is what I believe about God. And sometimes we need a specific one that addresses where we're at. Write, rehearse, memorize a confession, and then read and memorize the Bible. Read and memorize the Bible. Find a verse that speaks to your greatest struggle. Maybe your greatest struggle is fear. I mean, you just, I feel scared about this and I'm, I'm anxious and all that kind of stuff. And Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. We've spoken that verse as a family many, many times. For me, there's a season in my life where I struggle with anxiety. Philippians chapter 3, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, make your requests known unto God, and the God of peace will grant you peace that bypasses all understanding. What? Why do I know this? Because there were times I had to speak that over myself, just over and over. I had to fight. I had to fight. Be transformed. Fight back against sinful, broken patterns of thought. And then number three, be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. If you've been around here this year, I know you're probably thinking, Kevin, you talk about the Holy Spirit every week. When you talking about the Holy Spirit again? I'm just going to tell you what the text says, okay? This is what the Bible says in Galatians 5.16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You want to fight back against the broken, innate desires of your flesh? Be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit transforms our desires as we follow Him. Literally, will mold and shape and 
recreate your heart. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now this doesn't mean that I can go to God and say, God, I want that new car. I want that new house. I want that new husband. I'm just kidding about that one. Okay. What it means is that if I will choose to surrender my life to God, and I'll delight in Him that God begins to mold and shape my heart to where my desires align with His. Because if you're honest, the way the flesh attacks you is the flesh comes after moments where all of a sudden something that didn't seem that important a few weeks or months ago becomes preeminently important in that moment. And all of a sudden, the things that you care deeply about, you are willing to sacrifice those for this thing that seems so important. Don't sacrifice what's most important for what feels important right now. Because there will be times that your career or pleasing that person or being impressive or making all of those things feel so important. But we'll sacrifice what really matters. The enemy is going to attack your flesh. And you're going to have to fight back. Earlier, when we were looking at Galatians 5, what did it say? It said that anybody who has those types of works, who allows the flesh to become dominant in their life, will never possess the kingdom of God. And some of you are like, well, I mean, what's that really matter? I mean, that's just what? That's like going to heaven? Romans 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. In other words, it's not about rules but a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Righteousness. It's the feeling that things are right in my life. I'm in the right place, doing the right job with the right people. There's something, I didn't deserve it, but somehow I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with my life right now. I have a clear conscience. God, thank you for that. Some of y'all ain't felt that in a long time. And in your life, everything feels upended. It just doesn't feel right. Joy? It's not happiness. It's joy that when things are broken and nasty and gross in life, somehow, still smiling. Because I've seen that God's going to take care of me. It's all going to work out. And then I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I'm not worried about it. I have what? Peace. The world can go to, into an absolute storm around me. But somehow my feet are planted firmly on a rock. I have peace in the middle of it. It's not circumstantial. It's found in the presence of guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. And that's what awaits you on the other side of fighting the battle against your flesh. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.